Well, as we prepare for another week in 1 Peter, let me see if I can ask you to think of a type of person as a way to get your mindset around the two verses we're going to examine, all right? Try to bring up, if you would, the kind of person, and you might think of a name or a, you might not, but just the kind of person who seems to know how to simplify things. They, they, they have this uncanny ability to cut to the chase and provide clarity with brevity. So you're not thinking of me right now, I understand. But just think of that person who can get right to the core of the matter. I mean, they, they, they can summarize and generalize, and yet for some reason they don't minimize something's importance. In fact, when these kinds of people speak or write, you actually feel more motivated by their succinctness as opposed to their elaboration. Often coaches fit in this category. But think of that kind of person, and as you do, here's what I would submit to you. I think Peter falls into that category. The Apostle Peter had this uncanny way, inspired by the Holy Spirit, mind you, to summarize and generalize and yet not minimize the subject matter. He seemed to be able to cut to the chase of things, get right to the core of the matter, and he does this regarding spiritual gifts in two verses in 1 Peter 4. So your Bibles are open there, your journals are open to page 46. Put an eye on chapter 4, put a finger on verses 10 and 11. We're going to read these two verses in a moment, and we're going to just take a look at what Peter, in a very succinct and general way, says about spiritual gifts. Now, a couple of preview notes for you as you prepare. One is, this is in the larger context of Peter's exhortations about the end times, okay? So, understand, we've seen five exhortations in verses 7 to 11 in light of the fact that the end of all things is at hand. They were to pray, to love, to share. We're going to see two more today. This will wrap up the five exhortations in these verses all of this, of course, is aimed at living with self-control and sober-mindedness because of the end that's drawing near. So just kind of keep all that context in mind. This is part of that. Second thing is this. As we discuss spiritual gifts today and kind of hone in on that, this is just one message in a larger series of messages about spiritual gifts that we've brought to you over the last three years. I would say over three or four years ago, the elders just... We're very convicted that we wanted to make sure that, that we understood the importance of spiritual gifts within the body of Christ, not to minimize that even unintentionally. And so we agreed that every year we'd bring a series of messages on it, and we would analyze each of the passages about spiritual gifts in the New Testament. And we did that for three years with Romans, 1 Corinthians, and Ephesians. And now this year just happens to be that we can analyze this passage in 1 Peter as the fourth in that kind of running series on spiritual gifts. You received a handout when you came in today. On there is a QR code. I'd encourage you to scan that QR code. It will take you to the previous series on spiritual gifts. They're all titled For the Common Good. They're all at least three messages in each as we walk through Paul's words on spiritual gifts. This will just be one message 
kind of a PS on all those series, kind of in the same flow as Peter, somewhat succinct, to the point, not as much explanation, but more exhortation, because that's what he does in regards to spiritual gifts. Just keep all that in mind. This is kind of a, a final message in that three or four uh, year series. With that in mind, let's look at these words of Peter. We'll go to our lab. We'll spend most of our time in these verses, excuse me, in the lab today, exploring, analyzing, dissecting these words from Peter inspired by the Spirit about spiritual gifts. Two verses, follow along with me as I read. Peter writes this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Two verses aimed at at concluding Peter's thoughts regarding how to live in light of the end of all things. Most of these two verses deal with spiritual gifts, but if you were to break it down, there's 62 English words here. Only 40 of them are about spiritual gifts. Contrast that with Paul, who in one book spent three chapters on spiritual gifts, okay? So you can see Peter's kind of cut to the chase. What's the real issue? Let's get to it. This is the, the author of this epistle. And he's now speaking in regards to spiritual gifts, the last two exhortations that involve living with discipline and clear-headedness in the end times. He says, make sure you're using your gift. So let's analyze three things that he says about spiritual gifts. First of all, he says, spiritual gifts, there's a general command to use it. Notice this is in verse 10. I'll just kind of bracket this for you. And you can see really that the key phrase or verb here is to use it. Do you see that? So I'm just going to write these words up here. You'll have to kind of understand I'm, I'm abbreviating today. This general command to use your spiritual gift. Notice he says, each has received. So church, hear this. You're not exempt from this command. Every single believer, follower of Christ, Christian, has received at least one gift and not only has received, you are giftable. The Holy Spirit sovereignly distributes the gift or gifts as he sees fit. So every believer is giftable, has been gifted. Uh, you're part of this picture. This is why Peter says, use it to serve one another. Notice he says here that, that when we do this, we're good stewards. We're managers Indicating we don't own the gift, which is why he says, really, the gifts are God's varied grace. Now, understand there are three components in this phrase that intriguingly are mentioned in every single spiritual gift passage in the New Testament. Now, for those who have been with us for a number of years, you're probably going to recognize these words. We've taught on these words in regards to spiritual gifts for a number of years but they bear repeating because Peter here is echoing what Paul said in every one of his passages. I'll just simply give you the first letter as I explain them briefly. When he says that each has received a gift, he's speaking here of unity, meaning everyone in the church, the body of Christ, has received a gift. You're giftable. You have a gift. 
Like, like the Holy Spirit's empowered you to serve the church, to serve the Lord. So there's unity in that fact. We're all gifted. But there's also a sense of what we call profitability. See that? He says we're to serve one another. Paul calls this, uh, uh, the, like when the, when the gifts are used, it's for the common good. He uses the word edify, build up is the phrase in Ephesians. Peter here says to serve one another. In other words, all the gifts that have been given are designed to profit, to synchronize, to bring all of the instruments into one symphonic sound that's beautiful and harmonious and glorious. So this is the goal of spiritual gifts, that everyone has one and they're to be used to serve each other. And though everyone has one and they're profitable, there's a variety, or you could even use the word diversity. This is biblical diversity, where all of us have a gift, but we all don't have the same gift. But yet all the gifts and all their variety are to work for the common good. So let me give you the three words, unity, profitability, and variety. And I want to make sure you hear this well. Every single one of these components is in every single passage about spiritual gifts. Let me show you two verses where we see this. I hope I can. There we go. Romans 12, 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. You see it in there? Unity, profitability, and variety. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There it is again. Unity, variety, profitability. It's in the New Testament. So as we think about Peter's words, though they're shorter, more succinct, he's hitting on the same type of themes and components. We've all got a gift. Let's use it to serve each other. Which says to me something. Peter here, what he's really after is action. Not necessarily analysis. But what do we love to do? We love analysis, don't we? And we love to kind of evaluate and, and discuss and investigate. And I don't think there's never a place for that. But I think one of the downfalls of the American church's understanding and implementation of spiritual gifts is that we have become focused on analysis and less intrigued by action. I think one of Peter's aims here is to try to avoid a lot of extrapolation about details, i.e. analysis, and to say to the church, hey, let's get busy with the gift you have for the common good to serve each other. Use it. This is what Peter's after. This is the general command to use your spiritual gift. Now, I also think that in light of Peter's first command here, he mentions the idea of variety at the end, that it's God's varied grace. I think when you stop and look at all the variety, it motivates us towards action. Uh, when, when, you, when you see all the ways God has gifted the body in different fashions, then you begin to rejoice in that. You're thankful for it because the body gets more done. The mission moves further and often faster with all of this variety. 
One of the blessings of my role here is that I get to see a lot of this variety. I mean, I'm looking at your faces even this morning. I see some of you who are gifted in areas that are more behind the scenes. I see some of you who are gifted in areas up front. I see those who are gifted in writing. Some are gifted in in other areas of, of speaking. Some are gifted with hospitality. Some are gifted in areas of organization. Uh, some of you have an incredible gift to be merciful. Others have an incredible gift to be quite prophetic at times. I mean, just a wide array of gifts. I see this in our staff, especially. I spend a lot of time with our staff, with our elders and our leadership, deacons, finance team, and so forth. And, and just seeing the wide array of variety on those teams, it blesses my soul. And, and one of the things that I want to make sure we guard against on our teams and within the larger team called the church is gift envy or gift projection, or gift jealousy. You know, God didn't make a mistake with how he's gifted you. As you meet needs and his Holy Spirit empowers you in those moments to actually do supernatural acts, you're enabled divinely to to meet needs in ways that you couldn't humanly meet them. Those aren't accidents. There's no oops and whoops with God. He's divinely, sovereignly distributing his gifts in the body as he sees fit for the common good. This church specifically needs every single gift on the table in use, practiced. There's no unimportant gift. So can I just get in Peter's corner and say, you've received a gift. It's for the service of the Lord's body. So, two words. You ready? Use it. Let's have a bent towards action. It's obedience to the general command to use your gift. He he moves next to describe really two categories of these gifts. Notice how he groups them into speaking gifts and then to serving gifts. Do you notice that? The first part of verse 11 really is the general categories, we'll call it. I'll just label it Gen Cat. If you're a dog lover, forgive me. He says, whoever speaks should speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. And then whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And I want to talk about that phrase for a bit. Actually, these two phrases are quite intriguing because not only does Peter group all the gifts into really just two categories. And and let me just pause there and say this. On the handout you received that has the QR code, there's also a listing of the spiritual gifts that are just simply listed in the Bible um, with the best definition that's provided by the Bible or the examples in the Bible. We don't go above or below the Bible. We only list the ones in the Bible. Does God give other gifts? He may. I don't know. I and the elders have decided and agreed that we're only going to teach what's in the Bible. So those are the gifts we'll teach on, we'll explain. Uh, We believe all the gifts are available. Are there more? Could be. Are there less? Some think so. I don't. Could be. There's room there for variance. Could the church say amen? And we can still be friends, right? But as far as teaching the gifts in the Bible, that's the list as we see it, as we best understand it. There's some scriptures there. I'd encourage you. You could take every one of those and you could put them in one of these two categories. All those gifts listed on that handout. You can write speaking above it or serving above it. 
because all the gifts, in Peter's mind, they kind of fit in these categories. And here's what he says in regards to these two categories, these groupings. He says, if you have a speaking gift, speak as one who speaks oracles of God. He says, if you have a serving gift, serve as by the strength that God supplies. What's happening here is escalating language. Peter's not, and what, what he's doing, he's beginning to kind of move vertically. He's kind of raising the intensity. He's not just saying, hey, if you got a speaking gift, just do your best. If you have a serving gift, like, you know, just try your hardest. He's really aiming us vertically now, isn't he? He's saying, if you have a speaking gift, realize that it's speaking the oracles of God. It's, it's like, wow, this is important stuff. Now, he's not saying that when you speak, you suddenly have divine revelation. That's not what he's saying. The phrase oracles of God is a phrase used to describe moments, especially in the Old Testament. Peter here's writing, and that was the, um, what his view is, of course, God's work in the Old Testament. And he's seeing the Lord God speaking. And then the prophets would say what God said. They didn't speak on their own. They didn't give their opinion. They didn't say what they thought. They said what God said. That was the oracles of God. This is especially used in reference to Moses. The Ten Commandments. Here's the decrees of God. So if you're speaking... In the power of the Holy Spirit, at the speaking gift, you don't bring your opinion to the table. We don't bring our preference. We bring what God has said and only what God has said. And the church said to that, amen. When I have an opinion, I'll tell you that. and You can take it or leave it. If I have a thought on something or a tip, I'll share that with you. I always try to preface it with, hey, here's what I think. Here's a suggestion. But that's not really the goal of preaching. The goal of preaching is to say what God said. And that's what we do at First Family, to the best of our ability. Because if he gives speaking gifts in this room and other rooms and small groups, as, as God's Spirit gifts, guess what? We need to say what God said. This is one of the reasons that the gift of prophecy is to be weighed and tested. It's one of the reasons there is to be um, a, a sense of congruence between tongues and the interpretation of tongues. You see how God's providing accountability to make sure that what's being said is what he actually said. This raises the stakes. It is a proper kind of escalation about those with speaking gifts. But I think he also escalates those who serve and says, just as those who speak shouldn't speak their own words, those who serve shouldn't serve in their own strength. Sometimes serving can be quite uh, laborious, can't it? You feel sometimes like, man, I am worn out. But Paul said that when we are feeling as though our outer man is wasting away, God can renew the inner man. That's serving in the strength that God supplies. And so there's an escalation on all spiritual gifts to realize we're not just saying what we think. We're not just serving in our strength. We are speaking and serving from God's perspective, with his strength, with his words, which shows us really, I think, what Peter's aim is here in these two categories. God is the owner and source of both. It's not your gift anyway. He's gifted you with his varied grace. 
He's the owner. He's the distributor. He sovereignly gives them to the body as he deems necessary, as he sees fit. And so because he's the owner, we say what he says and we serve in his strength. Whatever the gift is. I'm so thankful for the way that this is outlined for us because Peter now kind of begins to raise our attention, begins to elevate our perspective by showing us these are actually supernatural divine enablements. You're catching this, right? Because they are from God, they're in the strength that God provides. They're the very oracles of God. They're what God has said. That means that we're not just making something up. We're not just kind of doing the best of our ability. It's not just some, you know, human talent on steroids. It's not some Red Bull type of, you know, thing that you're doing that you do really well. These are supernatural, watch this church, divine enablements that when God gifts you, he's gifting you with strength to do what you humanly probably uh, you can't just like do it like as a good person. I'm not speaking of Marvel kind of comic stuff. I'm not talking about that kind of supernatural multiverse junk, okay? I'm talking about the Holy Spirit coming upon you in ways that suddenly when you need a mead, it's not just a, a human way. Something about that moment, it's God going public. It's God on display. Something supernatural occurs. It raises the stakes. And that's how he gets into this last part in which he really describes for us the general purpose of gifts. Remember, he's been elevating, escalating, raising our view. Notice what he says. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So it's not wrong to say the purpose in the immediate is for spiritual gifts to build up the body. That's true. But in the ultimate, the purpose of spiritual gifts is to glorify God. That's what he says in the last part of verse 11. Again, he's keeping our aim and our focus vertical. I think this is so intensely embedded in Peter's heart that it brings him to this place of doxology where he just worships and praises God. So notice the text again here. In order that in everything, I think everything's a key word because he had just given two categories, right? What were they? Speaking and serving. But now he says, even beyond that, in everything. So there's nothing left outside of the scope of this word. There was just two categories, but now we're saying everything should be done to glorify God through Jesus Christ, the head of the church. He gifts his body through the power of the Spirit. The church then utilizes the gifts to build up, edify, uh, you know, uh, profit the church. And when that is done, God is glorified. Now, what does that mean for God to be glorified through Christ? It means that when the church of Jesus is utilizing the gifts of the Spirit for the common good, when divine enablements are seen and felt and experienced in the church, the weight and value and brilliance and beauty and authority of God is seen. 
Spiritual gifts are one of the ways that we reflect the authority and power and dominion and weight of God. The word glory is the word for weight or brilliance or beauty or um, magnificence. Something's heavy on you. And when you use your gift for the good of the body, that's the immediate purpose, but God then uses it in the ultimate purpose to show his weight upon your life and the church. That you would be humbly submissive to doing whatever God would have you do. And to be empowered by a spirit in that moment to meet a need, whether it's in speaking or serving. When that occurs, then suddenly, watch this. It's important you understand these words. God's weight is reflected. It's not created. It's reflected. Because according to the text, he already owns and has this. Do you see the text? To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Speaking of Christ, I think the pronoun him refers to Christ. That's the one through whom God is glorified. And when the church submits to her head and does exactly what he says, which is using our gifts then the weight of God's authority is seen and reflected and suddenly those who are looking in on us or even those among us who see us see this humble yes posture and it gives, it really radiates, it reflects, it showcases this incredible posture of like God is in charge. Whatever he says, we do. This is how God is glorified. His authority, dominion, his power, his worth, his value, his magnificence, his majesty, all of those words is experienced and seen in something that we often think is quite simple. It's like simply using our spiritual gift. But in the ultimate, eternal, grand scheme of things, it's how the weight of God is felt. You don't believe me? Just try this on for size. It'll sound like a very simple thing. But imagine mercifully taking a meal to someone who just received some terrible news. It could be about the death of someone, maybe a tragic illness, but they're left trying to just feed their family and they're managing all of this terrible news. And in the middle of that, you know God's leading you to take a meal. So you just take a meal over. You ever had this happen and the person on the receiving end just begins to cry that you would think of them. And do something as simple as a meal. It's the presence of God weighing on that person in something as simple as the gift of hospitality or the gift of mercy or maybe the gift of exhortation. I can't always define them, but I can see them happening. Can't you? That's why I want to be more about availability than definability. I want to make sure we're meeting needs, not trying to meet a list. And in something as simple as taking a meal to someone who suddenly is dealing with tragic news and helping take that worry off their plate and off their mind, I've seen families literally weep because someone just showed mercy in a moment. You know what that is? That's God going public. That's you in a moment just meeting an immediate need and the weight of God being seen and experienced in that moment in that person's life. Do not underestimate the value and importance and eternal significance of spiritual gifts.
the general command to use them, the general categories of them, and then, of course, this general purpose for them. I'll just write that briefly in there. It is really an eternal issue at stake here. So this is why, in fact, Peter simplifies and generalizes. I think in this last phrase, and of course this last doxological part, where he's speaking of Christ and how he owns glory and dominion and eternally, in fact, I think this is all part of what Peter's aim. He's making sure that we stay vertical, that we keep our focus, you know, heavenward. Because what he wants us is to feel the weight of God on us so it moves us to action. It's almost humorous to me that Peter here is is intensely trying to avoid, like, trying to figure out all the horizontal issues. He's not trying to answer all the questions about what gifts are active, which ones aren't. He's not trying to address the logistical ins and outs of gifts. Peter has one aim in mind. Let's get busy. He's vertically bent. He wants to see action. He wants his readers to use their gifts now. So I say to you, let's use the gifts God has given us. When you see this text and you see it kind of explained, perhaps you're like me, you can begin to see why Peter was the first one out of the boat, can't you? Remember the storm and the waves and Christ comes walking on the water to them? I mean, Peter didn't really spend time like analyzing the gear. He didn't ask permission or even consent. He didn't take a vote or a survey. He didn't do market research. Peter did one thing. I'm getting out in the water. And criticize him all you want. He was the first one out of the boat. He was bent towards action. So it makes sense to me now when I read these, these 40 English words. In contrast to Paul's inspired words as well in chapters, Peter's got one thought in his mind. Hey, let's get to using our gifts because there's not only an immediate need being met, there's an eternal thing at stake. God's weight being reflected, experienced, seen. He already owns that. He is that. And it's through spiritual gifts that often then that is experienced and seen and reflected in the church. This is Peter's heartbeat and the cry of his soul. So let's word this in a simple take-home truth, can we? You're already there, I think. It's not hard to figure these two verses out. Here it is factually, that we are supernaturally gifted for the good of others and the glory of God. Can you just say that briefly with me? Just that factual part together. You're supernaturally gifted for the good of others and the glory of God. But the aim of preaching isn't to relay necessarily only the meaning of a text in one sense. We do that, but there's more. You also want to relay the author's intent of the text. And I would be pastorally neglectful if I let you only go home with a simple factual truth because Peter's aim here is not just factual, it's motivational. This is why I think he's so succinct and he cuts to the chase because he wants his readers to get going with their gift. So the meaning of the text is this, yes. But the intent of the author, Peter, is to say, hey, because this is true, get to using your gift. So now say this with me, would you, church? You're supernaturally gifted for the good of others and the glory of God. So get going, amen? This is what he's after. This is why he's succinct. This is why he's not spending three chapters. He's not saying this 
it's uh, unnecessary to know all that Paul said? Not at all. Thank God for the explanations, the illustrations, the descriptions. But Peter's aim is to say, because the end of all things is drawing near, and because you must live in a disciplined, sober-minded, clear-headed fashion, get busy using your gift. Time is short. I hear that, don't you? My response, I trust yours as well, is to say, Lord Jesus, I'm available. I want to use the gifts you've given me. I want to be available to use whatever gifts you may give me in the future. I want to just meet needs, see opportunities, solve problems, engage, help, serve, speak. Lord, as the time is getting shorter, count me in to meet needs, to serve your kingdom, and gift me in that process so that your weight and authority and dominion and power is clearly reflected in my life. Now, let me see if I can take this truth, both factual and motivational, and put a framework around it I think will make it very current. Because this is exactly what we need in two specific places that are in our current viewfinder. The first one I'm thinking of is Carlisle. Where are Carlisle church members in this service? Can you just kind of raise your hand? There's some here. So they're mainly here, some there. Okay. For those who are new or perhaps watching and aren't aware, uh, we'll be launching uh, our Carlisle campus on September 18th, and they're joining us all this month. So good to have this part of our church with us. Right, First Family Ankeny? Amen. Good to have you with us, Carlisle. And here's what is needed at that location of First Family Church on September 18th. Here's what's needed most. Not just organizational prowess. Not just logistical smoothness. Will those things help? Sure. What's needed is the Holy Spirit's gifting of His children in that location. So that the people in that community... Watch this, church. Don't just see the name of a new church sign. They see and experience the weight of God in their midst. You know what's needed in Carlisle, in those city limits, is a revived, re-engaged, vibrant church empowered by the Spirit Gifted by the Spirit to make much of God. That's our aim. Should we be organized while we do it? Yes. Should we communicate while we do it? Yes. Should we be coherent and and logical? Sure. But if we're only those things and we're missing the Holy Spirit's power, we're just another organization. What we need is the living organism called the church to land in a way that, that creates talk in the town beyond the new church sign. We need to kind of talk, hey, have you seen so-and-so? Man, they're a different person. What happened to that marriage? What happened to that couple, that family? Man, revival breaking out with a re-engaged body of believers empowered to use spiritual gifts. Will you pray and work with our members in Carlisle? 
Here's one way you can help. It is going to be a lot of work in those first few weeks. We've got a strong core group. I think there's some people from our Ankeny campus who could drive down there early in the morning on Sunday, help them unload the trailer, help them set up things, and you can then just drive back. Stay for the service if you want or just drive back. There are people. There are church down there. Let's lend a hand. So maybe it's some older couples, maybe some folks with high schoolers, and you want your kid to like, get to work in some things. Hey, that's a great idea, right? Just send them down there. We've got deacons who will mobilize other people. It'd be great just to have a crowd of folks on Sunday morning and say, hey, we'll come help. You're our people. It's our church. We love you. Welcome to First Family. Let's see if we can land in this community, in those city limits, in such a way that people don't talk about the name on the sign, but the name of God. So spiritual gifts are needed just down the road in Carlisle. But they're also needed in that location where Matt and Bethany may end one day. And where many of our partners already are. All kinds of places around the globe where there is either a single believer trying to establish a church, trying to plant a church by witnessing and making disciples. Then those disciples form into a church. Or maybe there's a place that's yet to hear of Christ and we're going to send someone to be a catalytic influence there and begin that work. They need the Holy Spirit's gifting so that God's weight is reflected and seen and experienced. There's not a corner of the globe that doesn't need the Holy Spirit's gifts used in such a way that God's glory and dominion and power and authority is reflected, seen, and experienced. You can go down the street at Carlisle. You can stay right here in our ministries in Ankeny, or you can go across the globe to an unreached area. Every single place needs the Holy Spirit empowering His people to serve and to speak in ways that reflect the glory and majesty and weight and worth of God. Will you live to that end? Will you give to that end? Will you serve to that end? Will you volunteer to that end? Will you lean the ladder of your life against that wall? That God's majesty and authority and dominion and weight and brilliance will be reflected in everything we do? One of the ways that occurs is when we use our spiritual gifts. So church, don't think it's a minor issue and it's only meeting an immediate need. It is aimed at an ultimate goal, the glory and weight of God. And I'd remind you, this is God's aim even after spiritual gifts are no longer needed. You see, there's a day coming when the church will be taken up, will be with the Lord, and you won't need that spiritual gift. Amen? You'll be serving Jesus and his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. There will be no need for spiritual gifts, but there will be one thing still declared then that's being declared now through spiritual gifts. It's the dominion and power and authority and weight and worth and value and magnificence of God. That's the eternal declaration of the ages. So as you close and you process this call to get going with your gifts. Would you stand with me? Let's read together what will be declared about God even when gifts are no longer needed. Stand with me, church. Revelation chapter 7. 
because this cry of the ages is echoed even when gifts aren't needed. It's what gifts are aimed at now, but when they're not needed, this will still be the declaration of God's people. Church, read with me. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.